All right, everybody, welcome back to the Warrior Mindset and Motivation Podcast. I am your host, Eric Castillo, and I know it's not Thursday, but don't get your all don't get all angry and upset. It's only Wednesday, but I got another one tomorrow. But we did one today because I've worked around this young lady's schedule, and she she's got a lot going on. She's got kids, she's got jobs, she's single mom, she's single handedly punching life in the face every day, or even punching life in the back of the face, even if you want to call it that, because she's doing the do and she's getting it done. Uh, her name's Robin, and she was in the military, because you know this is a veteran-only podcast. Unless it's a civilian who heavily helps in the veteran community, then they get a pass. Well, unless they're <laughs> Dodger players, then they'll get a pass regardless. But um, I'll go ahead and let Robin tell you guys a little bit about herself, and then we'll just go ahead and kick it off. Okay. Sorry. Nervous. Weird. I don't do this. Um, and I apologize in advance for all of the curse words. I'm sure since it's a veteran thing, it's fine. But in case there's any kids watching, I apologize for my fucking mouth. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I grew up here in Vancouver, Washington. And I, uh, ever since I was a little girl and went to the Clark County Fair, there was like, these camouflaged, amazing, like army recruiting kind of badassery just like set up at, at the Clark County Fair. And I think I was probably eight, nine, somewhere around there. And there was a female in uniform. And I I never seen a female like soldier in real life, right? So I was just like, my dad was, I know my parents are gonna see this and they're not gonna be happy about what I'm gonna say, but I'm here to tell the truth and tell my story and everybody's story of me is probably different than my version of my own life. So I apologize for those I offend, but the truth is coming out. Um, my dad was kind of a little chauvinistic, kind of like women had a role, you know, like old school, like, you know, my mom stayed at home a lot, but helped run the family business. And my dad, I think when I was younger, didn't think I would, I was a fit for the military and it wasn't a woman's place. Um, Later down the road, he was proud, but um, I just, I think I just walked away from my parents and went straight over to this woman. And I was just like, when can I go? Can I be in the army? Like, how do I do this? Like, just tell me. And um, she laughed and giggled, you know, and then come on guys, come over here. You want to sit in the Humvee? And I'm just like, fuck yeah, I want to sit in the Humvee. <laughs> so I'm just like all this camo stuff and all this like really cool stuff. And, you know, they had pins and all this like little propaganda and she was just loading me up with stuff and she was like will you sign this piece of paper write your name and information your phone number your address come here mom and dad you know and we'll contact you when you're a senior in high school and I was like oh like I can't go now like I mean like I just can't leave you know she was like no we'll, we'll get a hold of you well sure shit like senior junior year in high school I knew my whole life I was going in the army and I didn't have a plan b came from a not very wealthy family uh, only child adopted, like didn't really have family and the family that I did have, sorry guys, but the truth is they're shitty. And a lot of them were drug addicts or a lot of them were in and out of jail or dead or, you know, used my parents or didn't talk to them or didn't give a fuck about my parents. So I was never close to family. I had nothing that I wanted to keep me here. My dad, um, Sorry, dad, but he was an asshole. He was extremely physically abusive, emotionally, mentally abusive uh, to me, not my mom. Uh, and my mom just kind of turned the other cheek. Um, so I knew my whole life I'm getting out of here. The military is where I want to go. 
and I never want to do anything else. I was going to be the first female sergeant major of the army. <laughs> yeah, I only did five years, so. <laughs> but uh, I joined that delayed entry program. So my junior year, I did like, you know, PT tests and events. And um, I had this recruiter. <laughs> and it might sound familiar to anybody locally, but Staff Sergeant Giet, Bradford Giet, uh, no longer with the military because he was a, turns out, sexual predator um, and was arrested uh, later. Um, I, I, he, I was 18 when he actually assaulted me in my home. Uh, he came to pick me up and he was supposed to meet me and my dad and he forced himself on me in my house. Um, but he also terrified me about the roles of women in the military, either you're two things in the military blanket wide, doesn't matter army, whatever, you know, um, you're either a bitch and everyone hates you or you're a slut or you're both, but you're nothing else. Like that's kind of his mindset. Right. Um, and he made inappropriate comments a lot and flirty a lot. And of course I'm just like, get through it, get over it, brush him off. Right. Because I mean, I got to, I got to just get in the army, get the fuck out of here <laughs> and do my job. And I joined as a military police officer because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a police officer. Um, mind you, September 11th hadn't happened yet. So um, the closest thing a female is what I was told. I don't know if this has any merit because my recruiter was obviously a lying piece of shit. Um, he told me that the closest thing a female could be at the time in 2001 or 2000 when I joined was um a combat mp or like a combat support mp so i was like really i've ever heard in my life right because i was like aren't there like medics that are like badass and attached to you know and things like that but of course he just was like mp and i don't know why i don't know if they have like certain quotas or numbers or something they have to meet but he was really pushing the mp route and i was like well fine just whatever can get me out of here right after i graduate high school so I graduated in June of 01 from Mountain View High School, and then I went to basic training at Fort Leonard Wood, Fort Lawson Woods, Missouri, um, and I met some pretty amazing people. I had a female drill sergeant, too. Like, she was badass. She was like the tiniest little spitfire, drill sergeant Avaro Reznicek. So I don't know if anybody out there knows her, but she was such a badass. And she was gorgeous. Like... She was not only like gorgeous and tough and a badass, but she was like a little Barbie doll, you know? And I was just like, oh, wow, like so inspiring, right? And um, and then I met Jessica Bowles. Hi, Jess. <laughs> um, and Jason Bonzel and, oh my God, so many. There's so many people I could name drop right now in basic that I still talk to to this day. Um, actually, my military family and people I served with, I might not have seen them in the last 15 years, but they've all been there for me and supported me probably more than anyone and done more for me than anyone ever has. Um, Isn't that funny how that works? It's insane. It's insane because I literally have not seen these people since we served in Iraq together and they would drop anything for me. Uh, James Popmeyer. Yeah, I know you're going to watch this fucker. Um, he was <laughs> The worst but best soldier I ever had. Yeah, I can say that asshole is not on this. <laughs> he was the smartest private I think 
out of basic and straight in a rag that I've ever, but he was a dick and he thought he knew everything, um, which he, he had a lot of common sense for just a young private from Kentucky. <laughs> no offense to anyone from Kentucky, but you know, just a country, good old country boy. But he was a badass. Um, and I think that he's one of the people that would probably fly here right now if I needed anything, you know, and right. uh, some of my old platoon sergeant squad leaders, Michael Beal, Sergeant McBride, Adam, uh, God, Michael Burns and his wife, Robin, like they're, they have an operation called Operation um, Pay It Forward. Um, and I hope that they watch this and put their organization in the comments so people can, um, can, can see what they do for soldiers. Amy McNally is a local person. I think you might know her, but she also has a lot of connections. I hope she watches this. I'll, I'll forward this to her. I haven't met her personally, but I just became friends with her on Facebook and she's part of a lot of local organizations too. And it's crazy because I don't even know these people and they're willing to help me and reach out to me. And from a friend of a friend, it's like, Oh, you're a veteran you served. Well, I know this person with this organization and they're local and they'll help you and they'll do things for you. Um, it just, it blows my mind because these people are from way back in 2001 too, that I was talking about earlier and right. they would do anything for me. 19, 20 years down the road, not even yeah, seeing us. And that's the one thing that a lot, I know a lot of civilians don't really understand because you can have friends growing up, high school, college, but when you share experiences like a deployment, like Iraq, like I've been to Afghanistan three times and Iraq once and two peacekeeping missions and the bond you, you forge with those people, it's, it's unbreakable. Oh, it's, yeah. it's because you share the ups, the downs, the personal problems, the professional problems, and especially if you're in firefights or if you have life-threatening situations, like I know I've each one of my deployments, there's been life-threatening situations at one point or another. And I still talk to those guys today, got off the phone with another guy a couple of days ago because he just wasn't right. And I know my uh, old platoon sergeant, who is now a sergeant major, Benjamin Brady, who we're talking to come on here to. Yes, uh, Ben, I put you out here on your name. <laughs> so you will, you will see him soon. And uh, we talk and he, he was very influential. And you you come across those people in the military because it's like, I call the military like one big melting pot. Like you just take a whole bunch of races and nationalities and, and they just blend them together. And then when you first start, everybody's just equally worthless. You're all yes. <laughs> We're And then <laughs> once, once they're done more forming you and molding you and things like that, you're all the same. But the right. one thing that's failed, and it looks like they're trying to do, but they just don't prepare for the transition. And that's yeah. the hard part. And that that's the whole reason for what we're doing. And yeah. that's why I'm glad you're on here, too. It's not easy. Like, you, you, I mean, you get used to being nothing but a number, you know, and you get used to being like, I, I mean, I'm the most, I am super patriotic. I joined to serve my country, not just to, like, escape and run away, but, like, I was that little girl that also wanted to be a fucking hero, you know? And like, I thought it was so badass. Like I had the utmost respect for anyone that wore any type of uniform, uh, police officers, firemen, and I still do. And I, I am very patriotic, but there's also a really bad downside to a lot of things in the military too. Like, you know, you get so brainwashed into thinking you're doing the right thing because it's the government, it's the military. They're telling you exactly what to do and how to do it. And, why would they tell you to do anything wrong? You know, and, and just because people served in the military doesn't always mean they're good. 
my recruiter, for instance. Um, you know, it just it's sad and it's heartbreaking because there are, of course, those bad eggs and bad seeds in in the military. But for the most part, that that's the only family other than my children that I have are the people that I served with. Like, and they are some of the best quality people that I've ever met in my entire life. Like we have bad mouths and sick sense of humor. Um, but for the most part, I, 99% of the people I came across in the military and my experiences, like I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, I would, right. I regret getting out. I like that. That still haunt. I still struggle. I I still get really emotional about it because I'm like, you know, when people ask, "How long did you serve?" And well, first of all, no one believes I served, and that pisses me off. Oh, tell your husband thank you because I have a sticker on my truck, you know. And I'm like, uh, actually, my husband didn't serve. Okay, <laughs> well, my first one did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, now we're counting husbands. Shit, let's get back on track. Um. <laughs> So I just, I get a little offended when people just assume that like I didn't serve my country and they're like, oh, well, how long did you serve? And I'm like, oh, just five years. You know, it was right under five years, but I don't feel like explaining, oh, I was pregnant and I got out. Yeah. And, you know, it was a honorable discharge, but it was technically four months before my five years. You know, I mm. hate describing that to people, especially civilians. Um, I It's weird that I say that because I've been out for so long. I'm a civilian, you know, but, <laughs> but I, uh, I regret getting out. I, I feel like I didn't do enough and, um, I struggle with the people that I lost and like, like Holloman. Hi Holloman. I love you, buddy. <laughs> um, he lost an arm, you know, and Michael that I was talking about, Michael Burns, um, he ended up eventually because of complications, losing a leg. Um, and, it, and it's, it's just, it's, it's hard. I, you know, I, uh, Sergeant Cooley, I can't, I can't even have this. Oh, I'm going to get emotional. Um, <laughs> sorry. No, you're good. It's okay. Just, uh, wow. I didn't think I'm going to get that emotional about, uh, Sergeant Cooley was, uh, Shane Cooley was, uh, a really good NCO when I was at Fort Riley, Kansas with the 300th military police company. Hi guys. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are crying right now over talking about him. Um, he was one of those leaders that you, uh, nobody can compare to. He was only E5 when I met him, but he was more like E fucking 20. Like he's a God, right? Like he, um, he was like SRT and he was a badass and, I wasn't even in his freaking platoon and he would pull me aside with his soldiers. And if I wanted to learn training in something that, you know, was out of technically my rank, uh, mm -hmm. he would teach you, he would do anything to better you um, and not belittle you. He was just very encouraging and a very good man. Um, he served with us in Iraq and he got on orders somehow. I don't know if he reenlisted or what happened. Um, to Germany. And then we found out later he deployed, I, I believe it was in Afghanistan um, from somewhere in Germany. And, and he, he lost his life there, of course, in a motherfucking heroic way, saving a shit ton of his guys. Um, 
and sacrificed himself, of course. Um, so yeah, so Sergeant Cooley, uh, probably, I know Arnall is probably, hi Eddie, um, and Frankie, Fran, Francesca Dearman, the Dearmans, I know you're probably hurting seeing that too. Um, there's just so many people that loved him. Mm-hmm. And it's just hard when I start thinking about those people that I lost and that I served with because there was some really good Michael Beale. Oh, there, there's just so many good people that, that are still by my side and will do anything for me to this day. And I, I think that's what makes me miss the military the most is being surrounded by people that, you know, would protect you and have your back like over their own life. Mm-hmm. And like, they don't, they don't owe me that like, who am I to them? But they would do it just because you're their sister and they're your brother because that's what we do in the military. So, and then from to to go on that one, and for the reason for that is is mainly is because you gotta have, and it goes back to that bond. But you gotta have trust. And I know for me, before anything, before I even tried to do anything, and I was fortunate to have. I didn't in the army. People moved a lot, but in my career, yeah. I was fortunate enough to maintain my integrity of a squad for years, which is hard. Yeah. Which is hard. It's hard to do. And yeah. I was fortunate enough to when I be because I was artillery. So when I became a section chief. I maintained that integrity for a long time in Germany. I had like two and a half years with one crew and then almost three with another crew, you know, before, before I became a platoon sergeant. So I was fortunate enough to have that. And the first thing that I would instill because of me learning, because I was in a toxic unit before I went to Germany is that is, is the, the, the part of cohesion, because if you have that, if, if it's, and that's what you're talking about right now is cohesion. Now, when you have cohesion, everything else, falls into place you have trust you have respect you have loyalty duty respect selfless service honor integrity personal courage look at that army freaking values i still remember (laughs) so (laughs) still remember the army values but all that (laughs) falls into place and there's not a even and even there was even people i didn't not 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 like but you're just like oh but when it when when push came to shove i wouldn't turn back and i'd be like you know what i need to go help this person because at the end of the day, they may you may find yourself in a situation to and they're the only one there. Now, do you want them to be like, oh, fuck that dude? Or no, let me go help him, even though he's an ass. You know, and I've had those relationships. And that's <clears throat> and that's what it sounds like you had there going on too. And I know you went to Iraq. So how was how was that tour? Were you actually like an MP? Because I know when I went to Iraq, I was convoy escort. I didn't get to do my job until late until two years later. Especially, I mean, back in the day, um, you know, what's crazy is I have like, I have like name amnesia. It's weird. I don't remember the names of the towns, the cities, the stuff like people are like, oh, you know, but back in 03 to 04, you know, when first boots on the ground, it was like shit show. Let's be real. I'm sorry for any civilians watching this, but there was a four star general. (laughs) I should not say this. In a speech, I don't. Can I say this? Like, am I allowed to like safe accidents? Like, <laughs> this force guard general was giving us a speech, and he was like, "The 300th MP Company, you know, blah blah blah." And but he he wasn't saying we were the 300th MP Company. He was saying we were some other MP Company that was a reserve unit from like Michigan. And we're all sitting there like, does this motherfucker know who we are? Like, he doesn't even know. Who we is this a bad sign? Like we're about to cross the border. Wait, 
into like enemy fucking territory and risk our lives and he doesn't even know who we are. No, it was terrifying. <laughs> um it was I know Lynn Beal, my old leader, like I love her. Hi. <laughs> I know she remembers that she was sitting right next to me. Um she was my NCO time <laughs> and I was just like, should I be scared? She's like, no, we're good. We're fine. <laughs> we're fine. Um I we were we I think our initial mission was once we crossed the Kuwaiti border, we were supposed to be like convoy security checkpoints, establishing and building actual facility, like, well, not facilities, I should say fobs and, you know, right. whatever, makeshift. Uh, Combat outposts. Yeah, I, whatever you want to call them, you know, throw some constantine wire and put up some, you know, guys in your turrets and call it good. But we were supposed to set up communications all the way up through Baghdad. So there was comms, you know, and I remember that was kind of one of our first things. And then they were like, OK, well, now you're going to be convoy security for these civilians driving, you know, and the trucks and su- doing supplies and delivering supplies. But you also have to watch out for, you know, the IEDs on the sides of the road. And you're not just watching for someone to ambush them or try to steal from them or whatever. You're, you're also looking to see if there's IEDs or anything set up on the sides of the road. And then checkpoints, security, and then, you know, first responders. Um, luckily, I was able to do whatever that kind of silly combat lifesaver thing is. So I'm not a medic, but I can give IVs and other things. Right. So I'm like your basic standard CPR, but I'm a little more advanced. But um, I think I fell in love with that whole aspect of it. I know that sounds weird and morbid because it's uh, not only are we, you know, if IEDs hit our convoys, you know, or they hit our soldiers, they ambush someone. If we're the closest ones, we're responding and we're picking up body parts of, you know, kids or Iraqi civilians or government civilians that are driving those trucks or our Mm -hmm. own brothers and sisters. Uh, And I I remember my first experience with a dead, dying or dead person uh, was actually an Iraqi man. Um, we were sitting at a checkpoint and this truck comes like hauling ass and we're like, Oh shit, we're going to die. It's like a car bomb, right? Like, he's going to explode. Cause it was hauling ass. There was blood all over it. We all have our weapons pointed at it. Everyone's screaming stop. And like even the interpreters yelling it in Arabic. And I just remember this woman, you know, her face, everything's covered as much as possible. And she is hysterical. Like she's freaking out. And, you know, at first you're just like, is this real or is she trying, you know, is she, is she going to, yeah. and I'm pointing my gun right at her face, but something, I wasn't a mom yet, but something in me, something in me made me put my gun down. And I don't know why, I don't know why I pointed my weapon away. I, all my brothers had their weapons still pointed, but she pulls this Iraqi man out of her truck and he it was her son and he was probably, I don't know, my age 20. I turned 21 in Iraq. It was a party. Um, and uh, he had a weird IV sticking out of the side of his arm on the outside an IV. <laughs> like, and it was dirty. It wasn't pretty. And he had weird bandages and he was foaming at the mouth and his eyes were rolling back in his head and they're covered in blood. He had a sucking open chest wound, a gunshot wow. through his side. I mean, he was bad. 
she's screaming, you know, whatever. Everyone's just kind of like sitting there. We don't have a medic, but I'm CLS. So I just, you know, go into the combat mode. And so I do, I'm like yelling, you know, you call for a field ambulance, you call for this. Like we had a kind of medic station back at our fob, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and we just do the sucking chest wound thing and we do a real IV. Um, And we get the, we get him kind of breathing. I was giving him mouth to mouth and CPR and I didn't, I didn't even think about it. I didn't have time to put like a shield and do all the proper because who's going to put on gloves and do all that shit. I should have. Okay. Military training told me I should have put on my gloves and my proper PPE, but when you're in combat, like who the fuck cares? Right. So, um, unfortunately, like he didn't make it and I lost my shit. Like, I'm not going to lie. I, I lost my, I was, I, we had fought, we were just doing a shift change and I went back and followed the land ambulance to our fob and we allowed the mother to come and she was like, they shot him because he wouldn't, he wouldn't set up IEDs to kill you and blah, 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 blah. So like, it turns out the guy was refusing to help these people that came into his town and wanted to like set up some things to some IEDs and whatever to hurt us. And he refused and they shot and killed his kids and his whole family. Damn. It was awful. So she's telling this story. I'm losing my shit. The interpreter's telling me all I knew was the first Arabic words that I learned while I was there. And other than like drop your weapons and stop was on Asfa. And I don't even know if that's a real saying, but that's what I heard. And that's what stuck in my head. And I don't even know if that's true. I apologize if that's not a true Arabic statement but on Asfa I, I heard was like I'm sorry and I kept saying it I kept screaming it to this lady that I'm sorry I'm sorry and she just grabbed onto me and held me and we just cried literally as her dead son's just sitting there you know and that was like my first experience and then it was soldiers and then it was civilians and then it was you know yeah. all that yeah. but for some reason that's the one that sticks into my head the most because it was my first one and it was like my first taste of like, well, maybe all these people aren't that bad and they don't want to hurt us. Not all of them, you know, but then complacency kills. <laughs> so I didn't want to get too soft, but I am a woman. And I do believe that sometimes women have that. Not all women. Some women are a lot more badass and tough than me. But man, I'm a I'm an emotional woman. So that really got to me really bad. Oh yeah, I can, I can see how that would. I mean, I, that that's something that's I know that's that's hard to to even think about and go through. And I I mean I've had my fair share of things like that. I think one to compare it was two thousand uh two thousand ten no correction two thousand thirteen fourteen um there was it wasn't there was no it wasn't combat related it was a car accident but it was really bad and. I learned, I know that you're not supposed to look at the women over there. You're not supposed to engage with them. But what I didn't know is when we went to treat, we weren't allowed to treat the woman that was dead because only the women, with only the women and the husband of the woman is allowed to touch the body. I didn't know that either. We didn't know. And I had to grab, I had to grab, I was, uh, I had to grab my colonel, uh, the one that I was working with for the security forces assistance team. I had to grab him by his vest and be like, no, sir, you need to leave it alone. And he's like, why? And I was like, because I just found this out. Cause I talked to one of the guys who was part of the accident. He spoke pretty good English. Uh, 
that only the only women and the husband are allowed to grab the body. So you just see them picking her up by her burka and putting her in the back of the truck. And you're just like, okay, you know, like, <laughs> like, all right. So and that one, I always think about like, and that's, they have their traditions and they have their things. And it's just, that one wasn't a, how yours was, but I, to, to tie it in, I, I, it's hard to see that. And that's not, and that's not something a typical person would, would see normally like you don't go outside right now and see a dead body on the ground or someone at your door talking about hey you're gonna plant these ieds or we're gonna kill you you don't you don't get that right now we're lucky to live in the united states but we don't have to do that yeah uh, so i mean and you said you were there in 2003 right yeah oh three to oh four. Oh, that's funny i was actually in afghanistan in 03 and 04 with really? the, yeah with the with the ss guys we were we got attached to them so we were in another country so you were doing your thing and i was doing mine with my buddies over there. So we were, we were holding it down in Afghanistan <laughs> with all that madness over there. Different. It's funny because they have the same principles, but they, but they, they're just a little different with their traditions. So it's yeah. being to both, you're able to see the similarities and the differences and things like that. Um, so Iraq, I know that, that I was there. I went to LSA Anaconda. That's where I was at when I went, I went right after Afghanistan. So 0506, I went over there. Oh, so, yeah, it was there was no break. It was uh 0304, 0405, 0506. <laughs> wow. It was no break. Um, yeah, a lot and of my friends that, and I can't I can't even imagine. I just did that one tour. I I couldn't imagine just back to back to back to back. I mean, it's like it's almost like at least for me, uh, I feel. For a while, even after I got out, I felt com- more comfortable over there than I did over here. Because at least over there, I'm in control of the environment. I am in control of the tempo of how things go. And if there's a fight that goes down or if there's a high tense situation, I control it. Where here, I don't control shit. I you don't control anything. Back there, you know, like that's yeah. that's the hard part too. Is like there, you had a whole entire literally army <laughs> having your back, and here it's it's almost like you're just alone. Yeah, yeah. and and mm-hmm. it took a while to make that that transition for uh, that that brain shift. It took me it took me a while to yeah. to understand that my brain can't operate like that because it just it doesn't work. So and and I know for me, my my transition was hard. When I got out, um, how was yours? Was yours smooth? Was it easy? Like, how, how did that go? Um, I, I felt like I kind of had a couple transitions, you know, like the transition just back to civilian life. Well, I mean, back to life after Iraq was different um, because I just I felt like a different person. You know, I felt um, I just I. I don't know. I, I don't even know how to explain it. I, I felt like I was changed and I was a little bit more bitter and cynical about the world in general. And it made me want to stay in the military even more, if that made sense, because I knew yeah. that I, I knew that nobody back home, if I went home, would ever understand me and what I went through like my brothers and sisters would. And I wanted more than anything to just be with them, you know, and um, stay in the military. But then the transition out of the military back to legit civilian world uh, was devastating because I didn't want it. I didn't want to be out of the military 
my two older boys are 13 and 14, Brody and Aiden. And um, I was married young. We got married because I got on orders from Kansas to Korea. And the only way he could follow me to Korea was either we get married or we break up. Like, I mean, let's be real. It's just the way the military works. Either I'll never see you again or let's get married and, you know, we're dating. So why not? And um, we were young and I was dumb. Uh, I ended up pregnant in Korea. His he, he he was separate. He was like five hours away from me at a different base because they can do that. They can put you up to like eight hours away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were young. We were stupid. I don't want to. I'm not going to badmouth my kid's dad, but we we um we didn't work. And I was supposed to be deploying soon again. And I'm like, well, I'm I'm pregnant. I'm going through a divorce. What do I do? You know, like I'm up for E6. Like I'm running a platoon right now. Uh, like what am I going to do? And my Lieutenant at the time was like, Oh, get an abortion. And I was like, what? And she was like, Oh, you're not going to the board like that. You can't do your job. You're a, no, you need to have an abortion. Like he's getting divorced. Like, what are you doing? So when I was told if I keep the baby, I'm not going to get promoted. uh, And there was no way that I could deploy with a child. I'd have to give up temporary custody of my kid to like a family member or something Mm -hmm. to deploy. And you can't be a single parent in the military. I mean, back then, I guess, but all my information wasn't right either because I'm getting it from one person with one mindset. I never researched my options. My problem was most of the time I believed whatever I was being told by my superiors and they sometimes had personal agendas or they had a skewed mindset of what the military was about. Um, so that was hard for me. So getting out of the military under that mindset, I was kind of angry and bitter um, about my situation. Uh, I never planned on ever getting out. I was on the fast track. You know, I was E5 within like two and a half years. And I was just like, all I ever wanted was to be that female sergeant major of the army. <laughs> and then, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I want to be one of the first chicks to go to like ranger school. And, you know, like I had my mind set on huge goals. Um, and it makes me feel like a failure when you get out. You know, I literally, it's hard to admit I'm even in therapy with a therapist at the VA, which for years, who's amazing, but I quit. I quit therapy all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing better. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, or I don't really like what she has to say. So I'm just going to not show up because <laughs> I have, I had a lot of issues transitioning out. I felt like I didn't really get injured enough to be considered a disabled veteran. Cause I am, I'm like 30, 40%, something like that. And I'm like, I have all my limbs. I I'm not missing anything. I didn't get shot. I didn't get, you know, physically blown up. Like, yeah, I saw shit. I was a part of shit. I was there, but I felt guilty getting out and I felt like a traitor and like I didn't do enough for my country and I wasn't good enough and I didn't have a plan B and I was ashamed and embarrassed to tell people I even was in the military because I felt like I didn't do enough. I didn't do what I signed up to do. And then I was moving all the way back here away from my brothers and sisters and all my friends were still drinking and partying and single and living this life that I didn't understand. And a lot of them were entitled and not mature. Some of them still working at bars and not doing anything with their lives, you know? And I'm not, I I didn't mean to be like judgmental, but that was like, 
that was my mindset was like, I've already done all this shit in my life and I'm only 23. Um, and I've seen a lot of shit and it aged me and it made me bitter. And, and I, every year, you know, that goes by, I look back and I'm like, God, you know, why didn't I just get back in? Why didn't I do more and do my part? And I battle with people understanding me and my sick sense of humor. And, um, like we have that language in the military, you know, like we have kind of our own legitimate language acronyms for everything. Um, I just, I don't feel relatable to anyone really. Um, and it's been a long time. I mean, I've been out since Oh six. I mean, I don't even know how to talk about transitioning because I don't think I ever have. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, you know, no, but that no, does make sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I can even share with you a little bit of empathy because I know for me, it took me a while to wrap around my head that, uh, and I still sometimes struggle with it, that maybe I didn't do enough. I served 17 and a half years and <laughs> I made mistakes in my career and, uh, Towards the end, I was in Hawaii. I uh, made a mistake. I had an affair in my marriage and, because I was dealing with a lot of traumas and I wanted an outlet. And I haven't really said that publicly until like right now. Um, wow. Good job. So, uh, so yeah, there's that. Huh? That's not easy. So no, thank you. it's not. Honest. Um, and because of that, I was going to get administratively separated. Uh, the command wasn't a fan, even though I was one of I was one of the best uh non-commissioned I was in the army I was inducted in Sergeant Audie Murphy Sergeant Morales same bar uh got a bronze star in Afghanistan so th- that didn't matter to them um I had I admitted my mistake and I was coming close to the end because I was just going to do it and I was going to get administratively separated and then I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and severe PTSD they had the audacity to tell me that I should have brought this stuff up earlier and because I was getting separated um i made this all happen yeah that 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 was that type 1 diabetes look at you yeah and and there there was setbacks too like when i was at uh fort lewis um the command there wasn't great and i got a bad rating and i get out now and i see and i'm i'm happy for all of my peers who get promoted to first sergeant and sergeant major but because of that um those things it detoured my course and i got i got medically retired after all of that because of the injuries and everything. And I was hit by an IED and things like that. And so I, I, I get where you're coming from because sometimes I'll sit there and I'll be like, I didn't do enough. Like, I know I have one more deployment in me. I know I do. I mean, I wouldn't go do it now because I, I know personally I would, I would be dead weight and I wouldn't be value added because once my blood sugars go higher or low, that's it. I'm, I have to stop and take care of it. But at that time, if you would have told me two years ago, or three years ago, I would have left and I would have gone, you know, and I, I get what you're going through because sometimes I feel that I could have did more. I should have done more, you know, like, why did I do what I did? Why did I mess up my career? But there, there was so much stuff happening on with unhappiness and trauma. Um, there, there was a lot of things that I've seen and was exposed to and, and done. So I, I want to tell you that just because you got out in 06, you're not by yourself, you know, and it's still a learning curve for me. And, and 
everything you're doing now is I commend you for it because you're still kicking strong. You're still doing great things. You know, um, Rachel talks about you all the time when she brings you up and she's watching. So she's, she's watching. Which I love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, so I just wanted to, I wanted to bring that up to let you know that, you know, you're not by yourself when you could have did more, but just know that because of the direction you took, there was a reason why you went that way. There was a reason why you got out because maybe something would have happened while you were in. Something could have happened to you or devast- um, more tragic or anything. So now you're out and you're on a, you're on a different path now. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just the way I, that's, that's, it's not, and it's not even a coping for me. That's just kind of the way I see it because if I was still supposed to be in, I would have, I would have stayed in, yeah. you know, and for you, you got out. So now there was a reason why you kind of just went this way. Maybe that bad lieutenant, and, and I'll say it. I mean, I've been lucky to not have bad lieutenants, but that lieutenant was bad. Lieutenant was horrible, and she shouldn't be commissioned. She shouldn't even be in to say something like that. And if she yeah. was my lieutenant, I had to cuss her out from the bottom up and yeah. made her go cry. Um, <laughs> but maybe that person, maybe that lieutenant was your intervention to protect you from something that was going to happen. So yeah. to kind of help I'm the I'm no licensed psychiatrist but just to kind of give you something to kind of frame your mind a little bit just to tweak it and think a little different like you know maybe this maybe that person actually did you a favor so yeah, yeah. so and I know as I was reading your bio that you you're now you work a couple of jobs and you know you yeah. got your single mom and you're a massage therapist and and that's your own business right I think I saw that on your bio yeah, I, I have three kids now, and um, I own a mobile massage business that I did do full-time for a long, long time. Now it's more my side business. Um, I had some catastrophic life changes in the past couple years that made me kind of put my business to the wayside, but I stayed with massage therapy, um, mm-hmm. and now I am full-time at a naturopathic chiropractic health clinic. So it's weird going from, you know, combat MP and that whole side to massage therapy. But I am a spiritual person, not religious. I um, I'm open minded, believe everybody's God, whatever. But I am uh, into the whole holistic naturopathic healing of people. And I want to try to heal people without the pharmaceutical aspect, seeing what it did to a lot of soldiers uh, mm-hmm. and service members, the VA, <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. like, here's the 800 milligrams of ibuprofen and walk it off. Oh, wait, that's not working. Here's some fucking, you know, goddamn morphine. And then there's this and then there's other <laughs> narcotics and then they get addicted and then it turns into meth and then it turns into all these things. Um, and I feel like that was not the path I wanted to go down or see my fellow service members go down. So I wanted to go in the more naturopathic healing path, I guess. Yeah. yeah, we, yeah. Natural healing path. We'll call it that. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. My dog is a service dog. I got oh, through. Nice. Um, what's his, what's his name? So her name is honey. Oh, her um, name? Oh, hi honey. Hi. She's for my anxiety and my PTSD, but she has more of it than I do. So I don't really treat her like a service dog, but she is my, she's my baby. I have, I have one too. His name's Kenobi. Oh, uh, he's, a, he's a, he's a Czech, he's a Czechoslovakian shepherd with a floppy ear. 
So. Oh, how cute! She's <laughs> yeah, so. a red healer, a chubby red healer. So, but, yeah. Right. Now, you got all of that, and how do you find balance with kids <laughs> and job, and how, how do you, how do you keep it together so that way you're not constantly like trying to jump out a window or ram your head through a wall? I didn't say I didn't. No, I'm just kidding. Um, oh, I, well, okay. Then I, besides I, those, what do you do then? <laughs> I cry in the shower when no one's looking. Um, <laughs> apparently cry on live Facebook feeds because I'm a big baby. Um, I, I don't know. Honestly, I am probably not the best person. I want to help anyone watching. I, w- I would answer my phone for any veteran out there, anyone at any time and try to help you. And I'm good at giving advice, but I suck at taking it. So don't do what I do, but um, I, I'm a stuffer, you know, I just stuff it. I don't do what your lovely girlfriend tells me to. Um, I don't do the healing. I don't do the work like I should. I, I'm that healer that likes to heal, but avoid my own issues. Mm. And the only type of thing that gets me through it, honestly, are these Facebook websites of groups of like soldiers, like helping each other, um, reaching out to people I served with. Um, I do have a couple civilian friends that have never served, but sometimes you just can't, they're not the person that you can call, you know, cause they don't, yeah. Yeah. they want to, and they love you, but they don't understand the demons. Like, Mm-hmm. Not the type of demons that you have, you know? Yeah. Um, so I run a lot. I don't look like it. Shut up. But I run a lot because running is my, it's like my escape. I just put on the music and I go for it. Um, I try to stick with therapy with the VA because I think everyone needs therapy. Um, and honestly, I, I'm a very honest, probably too forthcoming mother. I have my boys are, dad is not in the picture at all, never has been. So we're very close. So communicating, over communicating with my children, um it might be a codependency thing, people might say, <laughs> but um I think overly communicating with my children and letting them know mommy's having a hard time. So when I get anxiety and I get upset and I'm frustrated and I can't handle life right now and I snap at you or I yell at you or I disappear in my room for a minute, um, it's not you, it's me. You did something that upset me. My reaction is not your fault um, because I don't react to things very well. I don't. I take things extremely personal. I'm super emotional. I overreact by crying when I'm mad. I cry when I'm sad. I cry for every emotion that I feel. I cry. I don't like yelling. I don't like confrontation. I I shut down and freak out and panic. Um, I've been hurt a lot by people. So I try really hard to express that to my kids. Like mommy's having a really hard time. I pay all the bills. I do all the yard work. I do. I'm actually... I don't even want you to see my house right now. I'm remodeling my house. I took a hammer to my walls and I mean, my dad was a contractor, right? So I figured I'll be fine. I was in the army. I'm tough. I can handle anything. Don't try to remodel your entire house. Okay. Just by watching videos and HGTV. Cause you are not HGTV. No, I am not. That, that shit's edited. And they've got like teams of people working behind the scenes. I'm a single mom working two jobs, raising three children all on my own. 
trying to remodel. I'm talking like the kitchen, the floors, the walls. I took out a couple walls. I'm not going to show you guys because it's bad because uh, I live like this. Um, but that's what I do. I stay busy. I stay busy and I never stop going. And that's how I cope. And that's unhealthy. I get it. Yeah, um, but at the same time, though, staying busy is actually good for the mind because when you kind of sit in one place by yourself, that's when the thoughts start going and that's when the rabbit hole happens. Right. So it's like, so the fact that you stay busy, it's, it's, it's good, but it it can turn unhealthy if you don't take care of yourself. So mm-hmm. you kind of, you kind of got to like keep it going and then say, Oh, I need a moment for me. Hang on. Whether it's watching a show or if you like playing uh, games or something, or just, just a moment just to kind of disconnect and, yes. And I think that's that's important too because that's kind of what I do is I I don't like the 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 staying busy because being an artilleryman that that's that's what you do in the army. Oh, you ain't got nothing to do. Well, I'll find you something to do. And, <laughs> and it's because I hated it, but then when I became a platoon sergeant, I ended up doing that. And now I'm just like, oh crap, I became a hypocrite. But it's it's just so that way because and then as I look back at it now, it's like, well, they're gonna learn something, you know, because they're just not gonna sit there if they're not actively training. I'm going to find for them something to do. And yep. I and I do that to myself now. So if I'm yep. kind of just sitting there and I'm playing on my phone or something, or I'll go, oh, you know what? Nope, I'm going to go do dishes, or I'm going to go this, or I'm going to go vacuum, I'm going to go outside or something. I find something to do and, and keep myself busy because I, and I haven't done it in a while, but I noticed that if you sit there and you kind of don't do nothing and you're sitting there and you're rocking and then your brain starts going and that's when that's when the thoughts start happening and starts going and going and going and going. And now you're so far in that hole that hours pass and you don't even know. Yep. That's like nighttime. Nighttime is worse. Bedtime, forget about it, right? Yeah. Because that's a stronger attraction. It's darkness, you know, and, and then that's, that's when a lot more things happen. And I think it's important that when you're doing stuff, especially at night, um, you keep yourself a little busier at nighttime. So and you, and it's okay to kind of just sit there and watch TV and movies and stuff like that. And then when you get ready for bed, you know, you kind of can wind down. But I don't think you're doing anything unhealthy. Just make sure you look after yourself, too, because that is important. And I know you say you've been slacking. And now I know after this, there'll be people getting on you to do stuff, especially your friends who are watching. And, you know. <laughs> like, especially, yeah. 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 So, and, that, and that's important. And as as we bring this and wrap this up here, What's one thing you would like to tell to the veterans out there who are going to transition, who are in, or even even the civilians who are watching? Because I do have civilians who I grew up with who watch also, and they love this uh, podcast that I do. So mainly, but mainly for like the veterans who are kind of like who were in our shoes. What what could you tell them? Um, ooh, touchy subject, but um, definitely don't give in to that twenty two a day. <laughs> don't um. Don't go too far down rabbit hole. Yeah. Because there's uh, a lot of us that understand and that would drop anything to help you. And that it does get easier. I know it sounds crazy because it's been a lot of years for me, but it's easier. It does. It It's not easy, but it gets easier. And there's always, always, always your brothers and sisters you can reach out to no matter what. Even if I don't know you, I would do anything for you because you, like, I fought with you regardless if I wasn't with you, you know? Mm, right. So, 
don't give up hope. Uh, there are people that love you and people that would do anything for you. So just stick with it, stick it out and tough it up. Cause you probably went through a hell of a lot worse things when you were in than you ever will getting out. So there is hope and there's a lot of organizations and I'm hoping that a lot of my friends that have organizations like where I got my dog from Kevin Cameron, who owns a training dog canine company. Um, I'm hoping people like him and Michael Burns at Operation Pay It Forward and Amy McNally, I hope all these people start posting links and comments to groups that will help. I have a huge family called the Unwed as Fuck family. Mm-hmm. I think it started in Utah. Hi, guys. I hope you are watching. Um, they're not military at all, but they are the coolest people. It's all people that have been through divorce and struggle and pain. There are so many groups. And all I can say is, research it reach out and even if you just go to a group and you don't say anything you just watch and read people there are so many people that can relate to anything and everything that you've been through in life in some way we are all connected and you're not alone so i think that's awesome and then i think um before we close this out i think it's also entitled an ode that we give a moment of silence to sergeant cooley um now i'm emotional so (laughs) So we'll give a silence and then we'll go ahead and close it off. Okay. Okay. So nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we watery eyes. Definitely pulling on heartstrings. You you pulled on heartstrings today. Um but yes, gone but not forgotten. So um I appreciate you for coming on. Uh, talking and sharing your story, getting me emotional for the first time on my own, <laughs> on my show. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> but it's good though. It's all, it's all healing. So if people yeah. watch this, you see, this is, this is healing in, in, in the process right here. It, in mm-hmm. the, in the moment healing. And this is what it's about, veterans. Um, really, like really quick. There are some special people, just two people. Uh, Lucas Adams served in two different branches. He recently passed away and there was a funeral um, unexpectedly. Um, he was part of the PJs. Um, so if Anissa and her husband are watching, uh, that so her husband served with him, uh, David Bauer and all you guys that know Lucas Adams that we grew up with our whole life, um, rest in peace to Lucas Adams. He served his country amazingly. Um, and then Becky, if you're watching this, Rest in peace to your Marine brother, William Christopher Wold. Um, special place in my heart. So um, I just wanted to make sure that I, I gave them their moment of thanks. And thank you, Eric, for your service, because you spent a lot of years in and a lot of tours. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So um, I appreciate everyone for tuning in this evening, even though it's not your typical 11. Uh, I'm supposed to be speaking with Mission 22 tomorrow. Uh, they're a nonprofit organization that helps towards veteran suicide. Uh, that should be starting in the morning. So if you guys are around, tune into that. And he has some pretty good things and a new program that they just started to actually help with transition. It's called uh, re- um, it's called crap. Resiliency and something. I wrote it down in my notes. I don't even know. But um, it's a good program. It's a year long. So I'll let him talk about that tomorrow. Um, as soon as he gets a hold of me and we can get it all set up for tomorrow. So again, Robin, thanks for coming on. Everybody, Thank thanks for thanks for watching. And I will see you guys tomorrow. Um, on the hopefully you guys have a good night and on a nice Thursday tomorrow. Y'all take it easy. 
and uh, stay strong.